my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, week one is great. Week two, equally as incredible. Let's break it down as much as possible here before Sunday Night Football. For all of you watching this on Monday and Tuesday, thank you for being here. Hayden, how was your Sunday, buddy? Uh, it was really exciting. It's time to overreact over everything. It seems like the Vikings-Cardinals game was the, the best one of the week. Do you want to start there? Yeah, let's definitely start there. We're going to try to hit on as many games as possible right now, have some conclusions from each contest. And like Hayden said, let's start with the Arizona Cardinals beating the Minnesota Vikings 34-33 to on a missed field goal in the last moments by the Vikings' same kicker who sent that game to overtime last week with a 53-yarder. Now, Cardinals 2-0, and zero, Minnesota Vikings 0-2. Oh and, and Hayden Winks, we're going to say it every single week. Kyler Murray has ascended into clear superstar status. And if the Cardinals can keep winning, is on, on you know, track, on pace to win an MVP, possibly. 29 of 36, 400 yards in the air, three touchdowns, two interceptions. And Hayden, he added his patented rushing touchdown as well on five carries and 31 yards. Before today's game, which I, I haven't counted the fantasy points, it seems like it's in the 30s again. He's, here were his last healthy games before he had that shoulder injury. He had 27, 33, 25, 23, 27, 29, 38, 38, 31, 35 fantasy points in his healthy contest, throwing another one of these. This is like historical fantasy production pace. Like not just like QB1 this year. Like He's on pace to have break quarterback records for fantasy points. So you have to adjust if you're in DFS, if you're just uh, evaluating the trade markets. Kyler Murray is just going to be insane this year. This is a 2019 Lamar Jackson season. This is a Patrick Mahomes MVP season. This is possibly on pace for like Tom Brady to Randy Moss records in terms of, you know, statistical points for a quarterback each and every week. Like you said, adjusting the fly, we're actually able to get somewhat of a discount on Kyler Murray as going as the quarterback three or four in, in drafts. Hayden, we always talk about it. His first, what, 10 games of last season, he was just racking up rushing production after rushing production. That red zone carry by him each and every week is the most unguardable play in football. I mean, he has 43 carry attempts inside the 20-yard line. His career has 14 touchdowns. Insane. Those. It's, it's yeah. insane efficiency. What else has happened, Hayden, for this offense is a lot of other pieces are now unlocked. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, a very solid Four catches on four targets for 54 yards and a touchdown. The name that a lot of people were left on their bench is Rondell Moore. Eight targets, seven receptions, 114 yards, and a score. We speak on this every single week that if Rondell can make the most of his manufactured touches or downfield targets and yards at the catch, he's going to be a monster. He absolutely did that today with his long catch and run of 77 yards. If he was on your bench, I wouldn't sweat it. He only played like 20% of the routes last week, but this is the kind of chaos that – Kyler Murray is going to bring. There's four good wide receivers plus two decent running backs. They even got Maxwell, uh, Max Williams, their tight end involved. So it's going to be very hard to predict the AJ Green week, the Christian Kirk week, the Rondale Moore week. But there will be fantasy points to be had here. So all four of them should should be rostered. If you are really desperate for a flex, I think one of them could be uh, could be the guy. To me, Rondale Moore just like looks like a special player. It's just going to be a hard role for him to overcome if he's going to be the slot only guy. But we saw the explosive plays, and when Kyler Murray's scrambling for his life, that buys uh, time for someone like Rondell Moore to get downfield, and that's where he had that huge touchdown today. 
Yeah, I mean, it was like a roll to the left, roll to the right, right, you know, swivel in the pocket, fall away. I mean, he hits a fadeaway every single time. And it's even tough to predict the Max Williams breakout. So seven targets, seven receptions, yeah. and 94 yards as well. Um, I, I know that, you know, the rushing production isn't there, but I still think we're going to see a couple good games from Chase Edmonds as he moves along. But that's much more of a best ball selection than it is a weekly starter in your fantasy lineups. On the Vikings side, Hey, we didn't get any long passes to Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson. What we got was Kirk Cousins throwing three touchdowns for 244 yards, a 91-yard performance from K.J. Osborne to go along with a 64-yard touchdown. You know, this is a team that is using a lot of three wide receiver sets, and we have to start factoring in K.J. Osborne into that equation in the slot. That's been the biggest storyline. We didn't really touch on it in the last podcast, but the Vikings are going from one of the most heavy two tight end set teams to now a predominantly three wide receiver set team. That's slightly bad news for Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Like we've always talked about, it's just easier to have production when there's only two wide receivers in the route. But even with that, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen are so good and they're going to get theirs regardless. But KJ Osborne, if you are in a really deep league, he's involved. He was like the wide receiver 32 in fantasy, fantasy usage in week one. He'll probably be somewhere around there again after today's box score. So um, the, the other thing I, we want to know, I, I didn't watch this in detail, but I saw Dalvin Cook leave on the sideline, come back in a couple different times. Do you have any updates there? It just seems like he's getting banged up all the time. Yeah. Uh, like a rolled ankle here, like staying down a little longer after a hit here. Uh, Alexander Masson was the one who came in, but that was, you know, just for three carries and 11 yards also had a catch. Um, it's crazy because every time Dalvin Cook is slow to get up, he instantly comes back in on the next drive. And then yeah. makes a play that makes you think that he's not hurt at all. Yeah. He's a tough um, son of a bitch, isn't he? <laughs> I, it's, it's crazy. Like, there was even a time where he stumbled, the entire defense overran it, and then boom, he skirts up the middle for a 10 or 12 yard gain. But yeah, we all know that if Dalvin Cook misses time, then Alexander Madison is a player to, to monitor the top five, top 10 overall uh, at, his, at his position. Yeah, the, Justin Jefferson, I mean, we got 10 targets, which is a lot in this Vikings offense. Obviously, it's, you know, 70 seven points combined or 67 points combined in this game, but he missed a, a kind of layup bucket throw and double coverage on like a third and 10 or a second and 10 to continue that drive and make the field goal shorter. I'm not saying we're getting uncharacteristic stuff out of Justin Jefferson. In fact, we're getting more production this year than we did at the beginning of last year, but I'm not sure if we can expect, you know, the next 15 games to this insane breakout like we saw, but he's still obviously a top 24 wide receiver in your lineup, had a touchdown, and so did Adam Thielen in this contest. Any, any other things we want to talk about for this Vikings-Cardinals game before we get out of here? I'll still be ranking Justin Jefferson inside my top 12 moving forward. I haven't seen enough to, to get off of that. And just I think the ceiling outcomes where he's like a top five fantasy receiver is going to be harder now that they're gone to three wide receiver sets. And quickly, I mean, look, 33 points is a lot of you know points for a defense to give up. But this Cardinals team from top to bottom is probably a little bit more impressive than we we're giving them credit for. Yep. I mean – we know last week what they did defensively to to the Titans. Um, they still have those pieces. Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt, Saving Collins made plays, Buda Baker as well. They're one of those defenses that has those playmakers that can change the contest when they need to or make a stop when they need to as well. Why don't we jump to one of your games, Hayden? Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Chargers. You want to go there first? Let's do it. Um, wild game in the fourth quarter in particular. Wild game when it came to the red area. There was a lot of penalties. The Chargers had, I think, nine going into the half, and they had a couple really costly penalties when they're trying to go win the ball game. I thought that the refs did a really bad job for Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert had two touchdowns come off the board, 
But even with that, he had 338 passing yards and a touchdown. He was making some insane throws. I thought he looked really good. He had a couple boneheaded plays, um, but that's kind of expected as, as a young guy. He's still working things out. The big storyline for the Chargers, to me, there's two things. Austin Eckler, he looked more explosive this week than he did last week. He got a two-point conversion, which was a, kind of signaling to me that he's still going to have the goal line roll. And then Mike Williams, again, as the X receiver in Joe Lombardi's offense, gets 10 targets. I think it's officially time to re-evaluate Mike Williams' fantasy stardom moving forward. I think he's going to be like a wide receiver too this year. Definitely. Uh, Mike Williams is, unless you just drafted an incredible lineup, he has cemented in you know wide receiver three flex territory. And Hayden, we've talked a lot about those wide receivers that were drafted in his area. You know, Corey Davis is having a pretty good start to his season. Marvin Jones is having a pretty good start to his season. But the one that I believe in most moving forward, one, because the volume that he's getting, 10 targets, once again, for Mike Williams, but also attached to probably the best offense of that trio and the best quarterback of that trio is going to be Mike Williams. We have to forget these perceptions that we've had of these players. This is the ideal situation for Mike Williams to be into. And his skill set fits a role that they didn't have from any other, you know, type on on, on their team, right? And yep. I, even his touchdown today was a, I think, a pass at the line of scrimmage. He made someone miss, and then boom, we get in the end zone. Yep. So he's here to stay. He's here to stay. Let, let's reset our priors for those of you who didn't believe in Mike Williams, and let's move forward as if considering him a top 36 option. And if you're worried about Austin Eckler, this is kind of a sign that his hamstring looks improved and that week one was kind of just a an injury-induced, like, 54% snap rate. He saw nine targets today. So we were on the last podcast talking about can Justin Herbert keep Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Keenan afloat at the top of their positions? The answer to me is for sure yes. Yeah. This is also one of those teams that if one of those players goes down, then we definitely want to be interested in the wide receiver that takes their place. And I'm not saying that they're nearly as talented as, as Keenan Allen or, or Mike Williams, but it's just an offense we want pieces of. And speaking on that, I think Jared Cook had a touchdown called back. Donald Parham had a touchdown called back. And so their stat lines could look a lot different. Yeah, to your point, Austin Eckler, nine carries, 54 yards. Also had nine targets after having zero last week. Caught all nine for 61. That is absolutely the situation and the production that we want. Just the end zone was not there for him. Is there, I mean, I understand touchdowns got called back, but in a close game, Hayden, again, 20 to 17, despite, you know, the total being around 55 points. Is there anything to be said for Justin Herbert, you know, having one touchdown, two interceptions? No. Variance. This is just the NFL. Things like this happen. Maybe you can add a little bit more variance because it's the freaking Chargers. But I think that over the long term, this is going to be totally fine. What about the Cowboys end? Saw a lot of discourse. Tony Pollard outplaying Ezekiel Elliott. We heard that last week, too, because he had the explosive plays against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Seems like both players had significant roles today. Uh, Tony Pollard, 13 carries, 109 yards, one score. Ezekiel Elliott, 16 carries, 71 yards, a score himself. Pollard, 31 yards in the air. Ezekiel Elliott, 26 yards in the air. It just looked different, I guess, on the field when each one had the ball in their hands. Tony Pollard is more explosive than Zeke Elliott. I still think that Zeke Elliott has a like a skill set that Tony Pollard doesn't have as like a three-down type of player. That's why you saw Tony Pollard get action and like pony personnel, which is two two running backs. That's how he scored his one touchdown. Zeke Elliott got a goal line carry, ran out the middle. So it's like two totally different types of players. I will say the Cowboys, they had like a top 10 a fantasy tight end last year, and I think even the year before that as well. I think like that production is now just like going to go to Tony Pollard. So I think like Tony Pollard could be like a Naeem Hines type of player this year, where he's probably like a flex option if you need it. 
Um, he's still going to be the 1B to Zeke Elliott. But I think that just like instead of Blake Jarwin breaking out, you're going to see Tony Pollard break out. So I will say that is a negative for Zeke Elliott. You would rather have Zeke Elliott have the role completely to himself. I am still not going to write off Zeke Elliott BRB one season because he's still got two uh, two targets and then he still had the goal line role. And I think that ultimately the, the Cowboys offensive line should be okay. And Zeke Elliott, I think, I think I still think looks more explosive this year than he did last year. Was it bad process that still allowed the Cowboys to win in the end? I mean, they just allowed the clock to keep going and going and hang the ball off to Zeke Elliott over the middle of the field. And it went from like 40 seconds in the play clock down to about three seconds. And they kicked a long field goal. And we know how hit or miss Greg Zerline has been late in his career. Again, they're one and one right now, and it can be viewed as a good decision for Mike McCarthy, but that process, is that fair? And like that might catch sure. up to you because uh, so he's certainly not known for good process in his career either. The the Cowboys are still like 100% chaos. Like, But Dak, that, Dak Prescott bailed him out again, 23 of 27 passing. Like, that is absurd. A couple times I think that he was throwing the ball away too. So he was pretty much perfect, and I think that he's one of the best, best decision makers at the quarterback position. And that's how someone like CeeDee Lamb can go 8 for 81 on nine targets. I, I will note Amari Cooper was a little bit banged up throughout the game, especially late in the game when he had this first uh, very clutch first down catch. He only had three for 24, but with Michael Gallup out of the picture, if Amari Cooper's healthy and CD Lamb are healthy, those are like locked in top 10 guys. I, I do. I do think the chargers defense in general is probably going to be much better than what it looks on paper. Um, so I'm not too surprised that Amari Cooper and CD Lamb didn't have like, 150 yards each or something like that. Yeah, and filling in for Michael Gallup, we knew it was going to be Cedric Wilson, uh, but that only ended in two targets, two catches, and uh, and 20 yards. Just not the totals we expected from this game or had hoped for from this game. Um, all right. By the way, even in some misses and some plays that were called back, again, absolute laser show from Justin Herbert. It's, so, it's such a joy to watch quarterbacks of like this standing go against each other. Um, and we have that at other positions as well. Wasn't the case in Atlanta and Tampa Bay. Hayden, why don't we jump over to that game? Uh, Let's do it. Tampa Bay Bucks win 48 to 25. Again, they start 2-0. Falcons drop to 0-2. We told you the early season narrative was there for Tom Brady. You know, winning on Thursday night football to open the season. Now, puts up five freaking touchdowns in the air on 276 yards. Leave next week, it's the LA Rams. And the week following that, it's Sunday night football against the New England Patriots. We talked about we spoke about Kyler Murray and how the MVP narrative is being painted. Well, Tampa Buccaneers arguably have the best team in the NFL, and the ageless man himself is painting his narrative because the passing game and his connection with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and somehow still Rob Gronkowski, who gets 39 yards and four catches and two early touchdowns in this game. I'd say right now, Hayden, it's unmatched. I think that you can make Patrick Mahomes the MVP favorite, but there's nobody else I'd rank higher than Tom Brady moving forward. He's got nine touchdowns in, in two games already. And the offense is just so unbelievably stacked. Gronk had another fantastic game. Uh, he had two touchdowns, one of them a diving grab. One of them, he had to break a tackle to get in there. He looks like he hasn't lost a step. He looks better this year than he did last year. I thought last year he looked good. Um, Antonio Brown stepped up in week one. He was uh, kind of shy this week, but that's because Mike Evans – rebounded 75 yards, two touchdowns. And what you notice is when they get near the goal line, the Bucks because they have Gronk and they have another tight end like Cameron Brake that can block, they go into 12 personnel. That's only Mike Evans, and that is only Godwin on the field. That's where you can have bank on Mike Evans 
breaking regression models, all that stuff. He's going to score 12 plus touchdowns. So I would not be worried, even if he doesn't have the targets of somebody else. I still think that Mike Evans is going to be a top 20 fantasy receiver. Like you're saying, Mike Evans, he like stabilized his wide receiver production last year towards the end of the, to the beginning of the season with touchdowns. Then once the offense got along and you know he got healthy, he was able to continue to be productive. I mean, hey, I'm not going to say it's going to be unpredictable which one of these pieces we want other than Tom Brady, but the potential is also there for one of them, two of them, or all three of them to, to go off. And I want to add, like this game was pretty close at the end of the third quarter. 25 points for the Falcons, 28 points for the Bucks. And so not only do you have an offense that is working like a well-oiled machine, most specifically by the passing game. We'll get into the running game in just a moment. Uh, but then you have a defense that can make plays for you and get the ball back, either through sacks, through pick sixes, through st- stops on fourth down and third down. And that's the total package that helps you win football games. And winning football games means you have scored more points than your opponent, and that leads to fantasy points as well. I mean, it's, it's a simple equation and formula that we go off here, Hayden. And that's why I think that Tom Brady is still being slept on the MVP markets. Like, I, I legitimately think the Bucs could go like 14 and three this year. Like, that's yeah. not going to be a surprise. Their, their team is so, so, so loaded. It's like, it's truly not, not even fair with Gronk and AB like looking n- near their peak. Leonard Fournette, 11 carries, 52 yards. Ronald Jones, six carries for quote unquote starter and 27 yards. I, let's not even comment. It, Fournette's going to be an RB3 uh, for me next week. And I think that he has a chance to be an RB2. Well, Gio looks like the- trash. Let's talk about the running back spot on the Falcons, because I think that's the one that's going to grab a lot of headlines as we move forward. Again, as I led into the show, in his age 30 season, Cordero Patterson today, seven carries, 11 yards, touchdown, five catches, 58 yards, another score. Hayden, that's you know 12 touches combined, 69, very nice total yards, and two touchdowns. This is a running back spot that typically does very poorly against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I would say the reason why CPAT was successful is because one is skill set, but two, it wasn't typical running back usage um, from Arthur Smith that allowed Cordero Patterson running back by name, wide receiver by skills to be successful today. Even last year, about 75% of Cordero Patterson's receptions came not out of the backfield, even though he was a running back with the Bears, but from the slot. And you're seeing a lot of that kind of similar production with the Falcons. Um, But he is certainly mixing in with Mike Davis. Mike Davis does not have the bell cow role. But I will say Cordero Patterson, like running between the tackles, is like not it. Like his touchdowns today were pretty crazy. Like he was blocking and then Matt Ryan just like dumps the ball over and CPAT catches it with one hand and trots in. I will say CPAT looks explosive every single time he touches the ball. This is kind of like the Zeke Tony uh, Pollard situation where I think Cordero Patterson is more explosive than Mike Davis, but he's not the every down back that Zeke Elliott is. So they both have roles. We'll kind of see how it plays out. But I don't think it was good news for Zeke. I don't think it was great news for Mike Davis either. Yeah, I think this is a big conversation, so so let's have it. You and I were big Mike Davis fans heading into the year. I'll just even speak for myself moving forward. No, me too. Um, but, you know, Cordero Patterson, if he's even listed as a running back on your fantasy platform, which in a lot of places he's not, uh, I do think that he's going to be notable moving forward. Because, Hayden, if this was like a good team on a good offense that had neutral and positive game script, I firmly believe that Mike Davis would be the one that would be owning this backfield. Because he has those more traditional skill sets 
something that Arthur Smith is accustomed to. And again, we saw it just in pure running back touches. You know, Mike Davis had nine carries for 38 yards. Mike Davis had seven catches for 25 yards. But Hayden, when you're facing a team like the Bucks that you're trailing and you're chasing, and I feel like the Falcons, how they're set up this year, because arguably Arthur Smith is already over his head, that the pass protection is awful. And Matt Ryan looks pitiful at times. This could lead us for this one team out of 32 across the league for Cordero Patterson to see a career high in opportunity. And I think that is the path that we are walking down right now. I think CPAP will continue being a part of the offense. It will be very gimmicky. It will be very gadgety. He, he will be on the same uh, or on the field at the same time with Mike Davis. There was actually um, yep. a carry where my, uh, Mike Davis gets subbed in. Cordell Patterson stays on the field. It's a wildcat play. And Cordero Patterson's a kind of a bad snap, but Cordero Patterson fumbles the ball for like a six yard loss. So like these are the type of things like this is what the Falcons are resorting to right now. Like this is not good. Like CPAT should not be one of your better players right now. And, and the fact of the matter is he is. And that's really bad for the Falcons offense in general. They can't get the, the ball moving really at all right now. A lot of their stuff came in in the second half of the game when the Bucks were like pr- pretty, pretty far ahead. Um, so not not good news for the Falcons in general. The season outlook for the Falcons looks, I mean, Bad. absolutely, absolutely abysmal. I, I will say they're two premier playmakers. Again, the high yardage totals just aren't in the avenue right now for the Falcons to put up there. But like Cal Pitts, five receptions, 73 yards, looked fluid, was making, you know, catches away from his body. That's solid. Calvin Ridley, though, Hayden, for a player who was on that fringe wide receiver border as we finished fantasy drafts, it's been a slow start for those expectations. And then today it's 10 targets, seven receptions, 63 yards and a score. I understand like the individual talent. There's nothing wrong with that. And he certainly has wide receiver one status. But again, we want that on a winning team or at least a really good offense. I'm not certain. Like something has to change for the Falcons to be in that trust level of an offense that we can bank on each and every week i just don't care man like the, the if the falcons suck that means they're just gonna throw the ball to ridley a billion times so like I, I think that calvin ridley wide receiver one season is not going anywhere even if the falcons look really bad they just need like matt ryan to like be a an nfl starter and calvin Ridley's gonna get his i don't know over the last i mean trust me calvin Ridley's gonna be in every single starting lineup out there at least for me when i drafted him but there have been moments where i've been wondering if Matt Ryan's a top sixteen quarterback this season. He can, the, he can be the he can be the the twenty fourth best quarterback, and Calvin Ridley could walk to a, a top ten wide receiver season. Okay, I hope. And so. Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts, I still think don't panic. Top six tight end productions, it's for sure going to happen too. Uh, we were going to talk about Tennessee and Seattle. That game is still going on, so we will punt that towards the end. Um, Hayden, any other games from the one o'clock window? Since we jumped. Ne- to there now after the four o'clock window, which games you want to talk about from the one o'clock window to start? Uh, let's go the bills versus dolphins. We had Tua go down early and it, he had his first six dropbacks. He was sacked twice. And then he left the game on this throw where he got hit in, in his ribs. It seems like he, his, the x-rays were negative, but he might have like rib cartilage issue, which is still a very painful injury. He's probably week to week. Jacoby Brissett stunk up the joint. The dolphins offensive line looks like, a unit that will literally prevent the Dolphins from being a functional offense this year. That comes from the passing game and the ground game. Like Miles Gaskin has no shot. Like he's splitting carries up the middle, no shot at all. I don't care how good his vision 
is. And I think that's just going to be like Jalen Waddle spiked weeks, Devontae Parker spiked weeks. Those guys are going to be flex options. This is like one of the worst fantasy offenses. That was like my takeaway uh, before Tua got hurt. And then after, um, if you combine kind of like the week one uh, film as well. You can't get shut out in the NFL in 2021. It, it simply cannot happen to you. And I understand their, their quarterback left with an injury, but just as a, a unit, getting shut out in 2021 is beyond embarrassing, especially when you spend so much on it over the last yep. couple of years. What's up? There was, there was like one play before Tua got hurt. It was a third and 15. And instead of like trying to like rip a seam shot like they've been doing with Justin Herbert, they just dialed up a screen pass like Jalen Waddle. And that's just like kind of indicative of they don't trust the offensive line to keep Tua healthy. They also don't trust Tua to make a downfield throw. So they're resorting into just like let's get the ball into our playmakers. And like a screen on third and 15 to me is just like giving up. And this was like the first quarter at home against a division rival. Like to me, that was just like the Dolphins offense looks like totally lost outside of Jalen Waddle, um, just looking really explosive. And especially with the news this week about Will Fuller, that we don't know when he's going to come back. Definitely one to watch in Miami, depending on the Tua news. Let's talk about Buffalo, Hayden, because this is, I think some overreaction did happen in week one because we went from, you know, a Josh Allen that everyone was critical of to last season's Josh Allen to now, like I think all of us expecting perfection of him when there was a chance that in 2020, he just ran hot. And I think that was the case that marked by his incredible downfield passing numbers and also being the best passer inside of structure today. It was not efficient. 17 of 33, 179 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. We also had some rushing yards from him for 35. What kind of Josh Allen roller coaster did we live on today? It was certainly a roller coaster. He missed some throws that he was making last year. Like this was kind of the same thing that happened in week one. It's not time to fully panic. He's been playing two really stout defenses with the Steelers and then the Dolphins. I do want to shout out the Dolphins corners. They were making insane one-on-one isolated uh, defensive picks. And like he, they were like draped over Stefan Diggs, who had eight targets for only 60 yards and a touchdown. Um, and yeah, th- this was not like peak Josh Allen, but they went 35 to zero. Um, and that just kind of shows you how complete the Bills roster is from like the front office to the coaching staff to the coordinators. And I think the big storyline here is the back-to-back weeks the Bills' defensive line starting to get after it. And that was like their biggest offseason priority. So that's kind of good news for the Bills as an organization. They just need Josh Allen to kind of level out his inconsistencies. But I still think it will happen. The The wide receiver group and the coaching staff is just too good for Josh Allen not to, to become a little more efficient this year. And this perception that we have of the Dolphins' defense, our buddy Cleve T.A. did some awesome work on looking on this. Um, last season, when Miami faced a team that was top 10 with an offense on DVOA, they gave up 31, 31, 17, 33, 56 points, and that included a combined 87 points against Buffalo last season. And then what we saw today, 35 points once again, they go up to the, So what it seems like, if we can you know, extrapolate that, is that Brian Flores makes awful quarterbacks look miserable and then good quarterbacks that can possibly shred him you know, and, and shred his defense. Um, I do want to bring up that backfield, Hayden, because last week we got Zach Moss inactive. Today, Zach Moss was active, and Devin Singletary opened the game basically with the 46-yard run. He had the most carries at 13. It seems like Zach Moss, who also came in and fumbled today, uh, was not sent completely out back. Instead, was able in garbage time to get eight carries for 26 yards and two touchdowns. But I'm 
assuming those were insignificant and just when the game was over it's like hey let's not waste our top back in Devin Singletary Devin Singletary played 43 snaps Zach Moss played 18 most of those snaps for Zach Moss came in the second half there was a play in the first half where Zach Moss caught a play in the flats tried to make a guy miss and got the ball poked out of him fumble he didn't come back into the game till a little bit later and there was a couple of plays where Josh Allen was sliding at the one yard line that could have been a Josh Allen rushing touchdown instead called down and then Zach Moss gets the goal line roll. So I think we know what this backfield is. Devin Singletary is clearly the passing down back. I think that he's the 1A. Zach Moss, I think, officially has the goal line back, even with Devin Singletary being the lead back right now. And that makes both of these guys pretty much unusable for most weeks. Like the, the Bills needed to be blowing out the Dolphins, and they needed to be stopped at the one-yard line for Zach Moss to pay off. And like to me, this is just like way too risky. These are like at best RB3s to me. The Bills have Washington next, and the Dolphins have the Raiders coming up. And I'm sure we'll talk about those matchups as the week goes along. Hayden, let's jump on over to the 2-0 Carolina Panthers, being the New Orleans Saints, 26-7. to I believe the Panthers were either 3.5 or 5.5 point home underdogs. And the underdog of the week hit once again 2-0 this season. Hayden Wings. Love to see it. 26-7. The Panthers win. Sam Darnold, 305 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. To me, the number one takeaway, we know Christian McCaffrey is going to get his, and once again, he racks up 29 touches after 30 touches last week, but it's the role that DJ Moore is playing on this team because DJ Moore was drafted around like the wide receiver 20 mark. Um, Hayden, I think he's going to be flirting with wide receiver one territory as we go along this season. And we've talked a lot about the Panthers struggles in 2020. A lot of them were game winning scenarios. A lot of them are red zone situations. The player they're now looking at right now, it's DJ Moore. This team failed in the red zone early on in this game, but it was like a really deliberate play action. And then like a deep, you know, in breaking route that DJ Moore was supposed to break outside but he fell down in his break, but it was an ISO route. So that was the only design on that play for it to go, which I would chalk it up to, you know, their trust in DJ Moore. And then later on, they are able to get him just on a simple slant pass and get him the receiving touchdown. So again, it was like how DJ, how Robbie Anderson were being used last year. Now you threw in Darren Arnold, you throw in Terrace Marshall. I think the cream is rising to the top of this wide receiver group for Carolina. Panthers defense is legit. Sam Darnold looks way better this year than he did under Adam Gase. Not a surprise there. And I, I'm with you. I think that D.J. Moore separating from Robbie Anderson, who had six targets compared to D.J. Moore's 11. I think that if we look at the route depths, we're going to see Robbie Anderson kind of creep up where he's going to ha- be, be a higher dot player. That's good news for D.J. Moore. He's going to have probably more games with 10 targets. And I think that I'm kind of with you. He's like trending towards low-end wide receiver one status and Robbie Anderson is trending down towards more like the wide receiver three flex considerations right now. And I know the Panthers are 2-0. I know that Sam Darnold, it seems like his career is being awakened here in Carolina. And I know that they should be 3-0 after getting the Houston Texans on Thursday Night Football this week. But it's not perfect. And I want to bring up those imperfections for a moment because it might impact the win-loss column as we go forward. One, Matt Rule is being hyper-conservative once getting into the opposite Uh, side of the field on fourth down like it's fourth and two fourth and three 
around like the 40 yard mark in the past two weeks. He's punted in, in both situations. Also Sam Darnold last week, uh, you know, fumbled on an exchange on fourth and goal or fourth and one near the goal line. And then today just decides to have these moments where his brain melts and tried to shovel pass and threw it directly to the defense, which if the Panthers defensive unit, as you brought up, did not, you know, come to play and get the ball back for them, that could have really shifted the game. It really could have. So, Again, it's the offense is well coached. The defensive personnel is incredible in terms of flying around the field. Even their cornerbacks love to tackle, which is so rare to find across the NFL. But Sam, you just have to rein him in in those moments or hope at the very least he doesn't have those mental collapses to like tank a game for you. There's a lot of skill. There's a lot of athleticism on both sides of the ball for the Panthers. They're just super inexperienced, one of the younger rosters in the league. So you're going to have some games – where they're going to have turn the ball over a bunch of times and they're going to blow it. But I think that this team is is certainly ascending on, on both sides of the ball. On the Saints, coming off a massive win in week one, the Saints offense could never get going. It even includes Alvin Kamara, who had eight carries for five yards. Alvin Kamara, who had six targets, four catches, 25 yards. I think part of it, Hayden, was the disruption that Carolina once again created with the San Reddick and Brian Burns and, you know, twists and stunts in the middle with a bunch of different names. Um, and, you know, the Saints being without Eric McCoy and doing some offensive line shifts as the game went along. And Jameis reverted back to a lot of Tampa Bay Buccaneers Jameis, that under duress, under pressure, in crucial third and long situations. It was, I'm going to fall away and try to throw it up and absolutely see what happens. And, Hayden, you can't have that. You can't have that right now. But I, I am not going to like write off the Saints. Um, I think that this was a perfect storm of where their negatives matched up with the Panthers' positives. And they were just were they, they were so desperate. Like this team had so many guys that weren't playing. Quan Alexander, Marcus Davenport. They had some depth linebackers. Their center was out. Another linebacker was out. David Onyemato suspended. Uh, there was a, a couple players playing through injuries. No Marshawn Lattimore. They had coaches that were playing in or that were living in hotel rooms because they were on the COVID list. Like it was just a complete disaster for the Saints. I think that you should should be paying attention to injury reports late in the week. Like you just can't look at these teams on paper because when players are out, you have to reevaluate. And this seemed like the perfect spot for the the Panthers to blow them out because the Saints were just completely undermanned. One catch for Marcus Halloway last week, two catches for eight yards this week. Uh, he just can not be anywhere close to your starting lineup right now. There, there isn't like a true number one wide receiver for this team. I, I think that's you have to go with it moving forward. And it's so clear that it's Alvin Kamara and protecting Jameis Winston for him to make good decisions down the field. That's how that team is going to go along. I mentioned the Panthers on Thursday Night Football have the Houston Texans. Next up for the New Orleans Saints, it is the New England Patriots. Should we shift on over to that game? Let's do it. The Patriots versus the New York Jets. The first time that Mac Jones and Zach Wilson face off in the NFL. And Hayden, it was a near blowout. 25-6, to the Patriots beat the Jets behind Mac Jones, 22 of 30, 186. Very pedestrian stat line. But this was bully ball. This is exactly what they wanted to do. They ran the ball very well. They played great defense. And they shut down the quarterback, who has a bad offensive line, and might have started seeing ghosts today. Zach Wilson, it was the worst case scenario. And this was just kind of like we were going back to just his quarterback profile. What did we always say? The arm talent is there. He's mobile in the pockets. The 
flashy throws are there. We just never saw it, not once ever at BYU, him under pressure. And a couple of stats, courtesy of PFF, he had 30 completions against pressure all of last year, Zach Wilson. 86% of his yards came in clean pockets. 84% of his touchdowns came in clean pockets. And he played behind the number eight pass blocking team. And he faced the 12th hardest strength of schedule. So this is just a, a situation where Zach Wilson has literally never played in an environment like this without his left tackle where he's constantly on his back and he made some egregious, egregious decisions here. Um, eventually he had some good throws down the field, but he just never faced Bill Belichick. Like he just, when you're playing in the BYU independent uh, schedule against the freaking Mac West, you're not getting Bill Belichick. You're not getting freaking uh, Sean McDermott and, and the boys. So like, this is just like, we're going to have to expect this. This will be growing pains for Zach Wilson. It's going to be impossible to even evaluate him. But right now it looks bad. Yeah, you're you're not doing this against Brian Flores either. You know, no. like that. I'm not saying that there's like Zach Wilson clearly has it. I think in terms of like arm talent, I think he can grow into this. This is just going to be a really difficult year. This is not going to be a rookie season where the number two pick comes in and like lights the world on fire and he has established himself as a top tier starter in the NFL. We have seen that previously with you know. Top 10 picks, the quarterback position. Heck, look at Justin Herbert. I don't think this is going to be a Justin Herbert situation for Zach Wilson. Oh, no. And that's okay. And that's okay. I don't want to, like, destroy his career after here. But, you know, a four-interception day after interceptions that he threw last week, too, uh, that's that's possible. And then, again, very little because of all that from Corey Davis, who's still got five targets, who's still going to be among the top 15 or 20, we think, at the end of the year in terms of target getters in the NFL. But – Hayden, when your quarterback throws four interceptions, you can't get anything going offensively. Your top wide receiver is going to get anything. Meanwhile, Elijah Moore, we waited for a little bit of a breakout. It seemed like more easier catches today, four for 47. If we want to maybe take one thing from this Jets team, it's that Tevin Coleman was like demoted considerably behind Ty Johnson and Michael Carter, who combined for 23 carries for 109 yards in this game. In week three, I think Michael Carter is going to be the starter. I think we're, we're finally reaching the, to the point where Michael uh, Michael Carter is clearly, to me, the best runner on this team. He had a couple of broken tackles here. I'm not going to be surprised if he is a starting running back. Does that matter for fantasy, Josh? We're talking about the freaking Jets running backs. I just don't think it'll ever happen. Like, Yeah. Yeah. On the Patriots' end, Hayden, it happened. It was so beautiful. Damien Harris, 26 yards score. Shades of Marshawn Lynch when you break four tackles to get into the end zone. I think if the game was closer moving forward from that play, we would have seen Damien Harris hit, you know, 20, 23 carries. But the game was so in hand that he only could settle for 16 carries for 62 yards. Obviously, he got his touchdown, add another receive, uh, reception in this game as well. Um, with Ramondre Stevenson inactive, J.J. Taylor comes in, only gets two carries himself. James White also had a rushing touchdown inside the 10-yard line. But Hayden, again, neutral, and especially, I think, in positive game scripts as you move forward, when they want to play bully ball, the bully who gets the rock is going to be Damian Harris, and we should have some confidence in that now. You guys aren't going to want to hear this after he fumbled the game away last week, but Damian Harris is a very reliable running back. Like That's what he was with Nick Saban. That's what he was starting to do uh, last year under Bill Belichick, and I think they're just going to keep riding him. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ramondre Stevenson kind of sits on the bench for a little bit. And JJ Taylor is like a buck 75 and he's just like not a threat. So it's going to be James White in negative game scripts. It's going to be Damon Harris in positive game scripts. 
it's on us to figure out when the Patriots are going to be uh, losing or winning. And if they really wanted to, and you probably agree with me, you watch this game. If they really wanted to get him 25 carries in this game, oh, get him easy. yards, they easily could have done that. And this is without Trent Brown. Trent Brown, once he comes back in right tackle, can change the even more success for the Patriots offensive line as they move forward. Because yeah. right tackle with Justin Heron and whoever else is playing it, it's a real trouble spot, actually, for them. And they were getting some disruption. Is that anything else you want to talk about in this receiving game? I mean, other than James White getting six receptions for 45 yards. Didn't seem like we got any explosive plays from the likes of Jacoby Myers, 38 yards, Nelson Aguilar, 21 yards. It just seemed like they just knew what the mentality was going to be, what the game plan was going to be, and they executed on it, and then they move on to next week. The ceiling is capped if Mac Jones is not going to pull the trigger. Like That's the one thing about Mac Jones that I'm definitely concerned about is he refuses to throw the ball down more like 15 yards. Like Everything he wants to take the check down which is nice. That's just going to be like a lot of 12, 13, 14 play drives, probably a lot of check downs, James White, a lot of little short uh, drag routes to Jacoby Myers, but it's going to be hard for the Patriots to hang up a 38 point game where Mac Jones has three touchdowns and 350 yards because all he wants to do is just like throw the check down, which is nice. That's better than all the other rookie quarterbacks right now, yeah. um, but it certainly caps the, the ceilings for, for all these pass catchers. Patriots have the Saints and the Buccaneers in their next two contests. Okay, what should be the next game that we look at, Hayden? I'm trying to look at the slate here. Is the Titans game over? It is. You want to go over to that one? Yep. Okay, Titans win in overtime 33-30. to Your boy went on local radio stations this weekend and this week and said he likes the Titans getting five and a half points. Oh, boy, do we cover we also won outright. Um, what a weird game this was. Like Seattle early on, it was exactly what happened last week in terms of Russell Wilson hitting shorter passes and then Tyler Lockett isolated down the field and doing incredible things. I mean, Russell Wilson had 343 passes on his own and then 178 and eight receptions and a touchdown went to Tyler Lockett. We have a video on our site. If you like and subscribe down below, you'll get all this information as the season goes along and prior to next draft season so you can win. That Tyler Lockett was underrated last season, and Hayden, he was underrated once again this year. He's healthy. Last year when he was really, like, quote-unquote, inconsistent, he was, like, in the hospital battling, like, leg injuries. He had, like, the flu. Like, it was just a bunch of chaos, remember? And right now he's just balling downfield like we've never seen him before. I'm not sure how many players have better ball tracking skills than Tyler Lockett. Like the adjustments he's making like 40, 50, 60 yards downfield are truly absurd. And we're seeing the play action work where Tyler Lockett is just going crazy downfield. So I think that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are both fringe wide receiver ones. And I, I, I think that we should be a little bit worried that, that Tyler Lockett looks really insane for DK Metcalf at, for his like potential to be like a top five fantasy receiver. I think both of them are going to be what around like wide receiver 11, wide receiver 12 in our rankings. I think that they're all just also just like occupying different areas of the field right now. And maybe Shane Waldron is just really comfortable, you know, getting Tyler Lockett isolated with these safeties early on or isolated with one player down the field and boom, that's an easier throw than, you know, boundary throws that are 30 plus yards outside the numbers that DK Metcalf would need. So early season, Tyler Lockett is absolutely working out. And Chris Carson keeps finding the end zone. Two touchdowns for him as well. But, Hayden, we started off with the Seahawks, but I feel like we need to talk about the Titans because it looked like this was going to go incredibly wrong. I mean, they were down 24-9 to at halftime, yet they are able to come back 
and be victorious. And it's because Hayden, early on in this game, it was the same exact issues that we saw last week. It was disruption. It was causing the passing game to falter. It was A.J. Brown dropping a pass on first down. Julio Jones dropping a pass on second down. And then somehow Chester Rogers was the savior on third down. Um, that is not how you draw up an offense when you know there are certain pillars. But then they ran hot. And they ran hot by a Derrick Henry 60-yard touchdown. And then they ran hot when Julio Jones really hit his stride and started winning his one-on-one matchup and just looked like a different – he was playing a different sport than Trey Flowers was down the field. Eight targets, six receptions, 128 yards. It was really patented Julio Jones stuff. That's great news. I mean, yeah, everybody is willing to write off Julio Jones right away. Um, I'm a little more concerned about A.J. Brown. We're just, like, talking about – prices if the titans are going to kind of struggle um with efficiency early on it's like kind of like two slow starts right right away uh i would be a little bit concerned that aj brown's not going to be like the top six top seven fantasy wide receiver but they came back obviously derrick henry looked like a freak and that, that's a freak against like the seattle front front seven which is dominant so like that's just like derrick henry being a cyborg and like right when you think you're ready to drop derrick henry in the rankings just like make sure you slap yourself right in the face and bring him right back up are you looking at the box scores right now? How many touches Insane. he had? He had Insane. 41 touches in this game. I mean, 35 carries for 182 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, it's crazy when your team gets 33 points and your quarterback can access zero touchdowns from it. <laughs> That's exactly what happens when, when Derrick Henry is in the fold. And Hayden, in that two-minute situation to close the game, Derrick Henry was getting receptions too. I'm not expecting us you know, to extrapolate this moving forward, but he had six receptions for 55 yards himself. Quickly on A.J. Brown, he had a couple pivotal catches, but also some really, you know, pivotal drops, I guess. Like, the game could have been a lot closer if he was going to make those contested catches. The other ones hit his hands. Like, it was uncharacteristic things. You have to wonder, I mean, he had, I think, surgery on both knees this offseason. So he it did. just might be a slower start for him. But I'm also assuming that that's why they make a move for someone like Julio Jones to, like, open up this offense a little more. I would just love a little you know, touchdown exposure for, for the quarterback throwing throwing them the ball. I'm sure A.J. Brown will be fine. I don't want to panic too much. But I, it, the injuries and his lack of practice is starting to, like, c- catch my radar a little bit. Hopefully next week we can, like, forget about it. He has, like, 150 yards. Now, here's my issue with the Titans is that we still don't necessarily know who they are. You know, like, in week one they get blown out, and then week two they have to play from behind. Um, I don't think that this is – despite today, a team that is built to play from behind. Uh, so I'm still – Todd Downing is on my radar in terms of who he is as a play caller because it's, you know, it's not the game plan to be down 24 to 9 at halftime and try to work your way back every single week. That's why I got Derrick Henry. Like it's just like 60-yard touchdowns waiting waiting to happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, even at 10 to 6, like – they gave a sack fumble for Ryan Tannehill, gave the ball right back. I mean, the game should have been out of reach at that point. So you have to – and Taylor Wong gets injured right before the game. What a day. What a day for the Titans. Again, they are one-on-one one right now, and they get the Indianapolis Colts next week, followed by the Jets and the Jaguars. Hey! Hey, there we go. A.J. Brown's back. Don't forget everything we said about him. Maybe buy low on A.J. Brown as we move forward into like those Jets and Jaguars contests. Um, you want to jump to the 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles? We have a lot of news on the running back position for the San Francisco 49ers. You all know last week that Trey Sermon was a healthy scratch and 
that Raheem Mostert went down after the second play of the game. So Elijah Moore steps in today, Hayden. 17 carries, 42 yards, does not get his touchdown. It gets called back. But Hayden, every single running back on this team is now dealing with an injury. Elijah Mitchell suffered a shoulder issue, came back in. Jermichael Hasty, who was his clear backup, five carries, 38 yards, also injured. Then Trey Sermon, on his lone carry, gets speared straight to the back of his head, fumbles, doesn't count because it was ruled a penalty, but he immediately walks to the locker room and is taken out. What are we doing with this 49ers backfield that we want a piece of, Hayden? I think Elijah Mitchell is going to be an RB2 next week because it doesn't seem like Trey Sermon, who's in the concussion protocol, is going to play after watching that hit. He got hit in the head three different times. So it was it was not pretty for, for Trey Sermon. And Elijah Mitchell, despite missing some time here, got 17 carries. So I think it's just going to be Eli Mitchell for projecting him for 15 to 20 touches next week. And if the 49ers can jump out to a lead, it's, he's just going to get rolling again. So I think that he's firmly an RB2 right now. I also believe Jimmy Garoppolo should be thanking his stars that they had so many running back injuries because that might take away the spotlight that he played like absolute crap today. Yeah. I mean, there were so many throws in the first couple quarters where he just missed wide open receivers. Kyle Shanahan was doing his job. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, heck, even Muhammad Sanu on like outside breaking routes was wide open and Jimmy Garoppolo was just missing them. Finishes 22 of 30. 189, one touchdown. He's the one. I mean, he had 11 carries. I'm assuming some of those were kneel down towards the end of the game. But um, he also had a one-yard plunge for a score. I don't know how long, and sure, they won the game, but I don't know how many games, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo can have that performance until Kyle Shanahan shifts away from him. We don't know anything about Trey Lance. But also, Hayden, I'm not even – because last week was a great Jimmy performance, one of his best as, as a San Francisco 49er. But I think that's the issue is that you don't know what you're getting week to week. And so that might be also the frustration that makes a move at this point as well. The problem is I I read that Trey Lance was running the scout team this week, like not the quarterback too. And he barely played if he did even get a, I don't even think he got a touch today. So like, I still think Jimmy G's probably got the job until after um, the bye week, assuming that he can stay healthy and doesn't completely fall flat on his face. Um, I don't know. I think it's just wait and see with with with, with Trey Lance. I, I think the bigger storyline to me was just Brandon Ayuk. I mean, he played 54% of the snaps, and he was eighth in receiving yards on the team. Like, I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know how much of it's coaching decisions or it's actually his hamstring injury. Um, but right now, you can't play him. We opened this 49ers conversation about the running back position. Debo Samuel is an extension of the running backs. You know, Debo Samuel is an extension of the run game. They get him on these jet sweeps, these jet motions. And if the receivers are covered down the field, Jimmy will throw it to him at the line of scrimmage and he picks up six, seven yards on chunk plays. Also manufactured touches or, you know, drag routes over the middle of the field. That's why Debo Samuel is the most bankable piece of this offense at the moment and will continue to be because he's exact. He, he like maximizes what they can do in terms of the extension of the run game, but then also can create in his own with the ball in his hands. So again, we hit the reset button on a few players already on the stream. I think we hit the reset button with Debo Samuel moving forward and view him Hayden as a top 30 top 24 wide receiver going forward easily. Uh, I'm right there with you, at least until Brandon, you kind of figures things out. 
Um, when it when is it supposed to be time to reset the the George Kittle uh, viewpoint? I mean, third round pick, he's not involved at all. Like last week, it wasn't just the box scores. He ran around like I believe it was like on sixteen of twenty dropbacks. Yeah. This is like he's legitimately a blocker right now. He he's like basically like the Eric Salbert freaking role right now, where he's like a half. He's got he's he's Adam Shaheen, but he's very good. Like I mean, what what are we supposed to do? I I've for sure moved T.J. Hawkinson over George Kittle. Yeah. I would be pretty nervous if I was a George Kittle owner right now. Yeah, it, it hurts even more because you took him right after Darren Waller went off the board, and we have seen what Darren Waller has done in in the first two weeks. This isn't the you know top offense in the NFL path that was possibly there for the 49ers. It's just not it right now. I think they have a lot of kinks to work out. But Hayden, luckily for them, despite saying all of that and with all the injuries that they face at running back position, they are still 2-0, but they have a you know tough run coming up with the Packers, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals in the next three games. Uh, let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles on their end because we know they absolutely torched the Atlanta Falcons in week one. In the first half, I thought Jalen Hurts looked awesome. He has quarterback eyes. And there was a lot of comments heading into this game, Hayden, that he is still won over the entire locker room. They absolutely love him. And that is also on the heels of them being linked to Deshaun Watson, being linked to a whole bunch of other quarterbacks. I will say for the full contest, a quarterback one performance was not there from Jalen Hurts in terms of being like a, an annual starter. But I don't know how much was his fault because Hayden, what we've talked about, what derailed this team last year was injuries. And they've started to accumulate some injuries here on this team as well. And Brandon Brooks went down in this contest and offense. But anyways, Jalen Hurts, 190 yards in the air because they were working in negative game script in the second half, 10 carries, 82 yards and a score on the ground as well. He always gives us that. He's a fantasy quarterback one, but he had 191 passing yards, and 91 of them came on a touchdown to Quez Watkins, or almost touchdown to Quez Watkins. So, like, he was 11 for 22 for 100 yards outside of that one play. So um, the pressure's on Jalen Jalen Hurts to kind of figure things out as a a passer. I haven't watched this game. Um, Do want to note that Devonta Smith, he only had – uh, two catches for 16 yards, but he led the team with seven targets. I still think that he's going to be a wide receiver three flex option moving forward. Jalen Hurts passing chart today. Over, you know, week one, everything was on the right side of the formation. Today, right and left, he's not seeing anything over the middle of the field. At least that's what it's showing me through the first two weeks. Last year, too. Exactly last year. And in college, might really be a concern. I mean, yeah. if we're seeing that, guess who else is seeing that? The NFL. Um, it's so odd, like it hasn't happened yet, but just with his connection with Miles Sanders, I think a big Miles Sanders week is coming up at some point because, you know, Jalen Hurts on his own is going to be a rushing threat and Miles Sanders looks great. We haven't had a lot of Miles Sanders production yet, Hayden. I mean, what, 13 carries today for 55 yards. I think it was 15 carries for 74 yards last week. But it, it's going to be there. I, I don't know if we're going to be able to predict it. Maybe it's the Cowboys. Maybe it's against the Chiefs over the next two weeks. But that like that continuity and that success on the ground, I think, can be there for one of these contests. I think he's going to be the definition of dead zone running back because it seems like Kenny Gainwell is playing on the passing downs over Miles Sanders. And 
Jalen Hurts isn't that efficient of a player in the first place, and he's not going to throw to his running backs as often as other quarterbacks. So I think that Miles Sanders will have some big rushing weeks, um, but it's going to be hard for him to pay off if he's not getting four or five targets every week. Okay. We still have a couple more games to hit on. Hayden, you want to quickly touch on the Las Vegas Raiders and the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to watch this game a lot more in depth later on this week. Hayden, the Steelers lose 26 to 17. The Raiders are now 2 0. Your team of 2021. Hayden, we saw Derek Carr in the face of pressure, in the face of disruption, unlatch a rocket 61 yard touchdown to Henry Ruggs, who finishes career day, five receptions, 113 yards, and a score. I can see it behind you. Ultimately, there's going to wind up a Derek Carr jersey. It's going to replace the picture of you and your wife. It, uh, it will not happen. I just want to let the record show that Derek Carr is a fringe top 10 actual quarterback. He's playing out of his mind. Like this is the best he's ever played. And even last year, if you look at some of the advanced data, Derek Carr was a top 10 quarterback. He's doing this behind an awful offensive line. Like it is not pretty for, for the Raiders. I haven't watched this game yet, but they were missing two starting linemen. Plus the right tackle was egregious in the first game. And he's still going out here despite almost rolling his ankle again and just del- delivering dimes against the Steelers on the road. So um, I think the, the Raiders passing attack is is pretty legit. Now, I don't know how much that means for Henry Ruggs because we know Darren Waller gets his first. But to me, I would be betting on Henry Ruggs over um, Brian Edwards, uh, who was out-targeted by Ruggs 7-3. to And without Josh Jacobs, we should have listened to John Gruden all week. Talking up Peyton Barber, 13 carries for him for 32 yards. And then, yeah, Darren Waller, seven targets. I think he's bankable for that each and every week. And he gets five catches for 65 yards himself on the Steelers side. Four. That's his floor, which is an absolutely incredible floor. Quickly on the Steelers before we finish out a couple more games, the arm is ruining this offense. It truly is. Like all these skill position talents that they have at wide receiver and Chase Claypool, 70 yards on three catches, and Deontay Johnson. 12 targets, nine receptions, 105 yards. Heck, I mean, all these you know averages are so low. Look at Juju Smith-Schuster, 41 yards on six catches. It's because nothing is quick. Like nothing has velocity behind it from Ben Roethlisberger, and that just limits you considerably. Like the downfield shots to Chase Claypool take three or four seconds to get there. It's insane that this is the offense that they have chosen to go with because the quarterback is limiting all the great pieces around him right now. Totally agree with that. But I think for Chase Claypool and Juju Smith Schuster, we're just waiting on the Deontay Johnson news. And this is like the biggest storyline. It's a knee injury. It happened on a meaningless play. He was, it looked like a a non-contact injury. I'm sure by Tuesday's show, we'll have the diagnosis for Deontay Johnson, but you never like uh, look um, at non-contact injuries and, and love what you see. So um, we'll see if 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 it's a bad injury. Obviously, that would help Juju and, and Chase Claypool. But Deontay, once again, 12 targets, 9 for 105, um, operating as the, the Steelers' number one receiver in this dink and dunk offense. Yeah, and Najee Harris was able to put together 15 touches for, I'll do some quick math, 81 total yards and a touchdown himself. I hope that's the four. Last week showed that it wasn't. Uh, finding the end zone, he looked really good on obviously that that reception and making some people miss and getting the end zone kind of saved his day in uh, in that regard. We need to talk about Chicago and Cincinnati before we get out of here, Hayden, and also Houston and Cleveland. 
This was the Rams, the Colts. Jeez, we haven't talked about any of these games yet. Um, with the Bears, Justin Fields comes in for an injured Andy Dalton, 6 of 13, one interception. Hey, maybe this is why he hasn't played this entire time. Like, he didn't look fully in it and aware. I need to study this game as we go along. But just for what I was seeing from a surface level, he has a little bit of a lack of vision in terms of anticipating where the pressure and where the disruption is going to come. And that can hurt not just him and his success, but an entire offense and, and kind of derail some of those plays. Sub 50% completions. He took two sacks. There was also a couple of times where he was called for a false start because he was like trying to snap the ball and he wasn't on the same page with their offensive linemen. It looked like a mess, but Andy Dalton um, might be dealing with a, a, a knee injury. We don't know the severity yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Fields gets out there. The problem is the offensive line is brutal, like yep. beyond brutal. Um, so it's going to be a lot of Justin Fields, but it's going to be a lot of Justin Fields scrambling. Justin Fields threw the ball 13 times. He ran the ball 10 times. And this was when the this was like a pretty neutral game script overall for for Justin Fields. So if he's going to be running that much and a lot of scrambles, like that's going to be a quarterback one for fantasy purposes almost immediately. I don't care how bad his offensive line and his decision making is right away. If you're running that much, you're you're a borderline top twelve guy for me. And he's going to be running a lot against the Cleveland Browns defense that she has next potentially. Uh, we're still waiting on, you know, a big game from Allen Robinson this season, just two catches for 24 yards on the Bengals end. While we love them in week one, Hayden, I think a lot of their negatives caught up to them. And mainly it was Zach Taylor, um, Joe Burrow, just 19 to 207, two touchdowns. Again, it went to those three pieces in Tyler Boyd, 73 yards, T Higgins, 60 yards. Jamar Chase had a touchdown and 54 yards. It looked like those were in garbage time at first. Cause I think that they, they were both scored when it was like 20 to three. And then, boom, you get back-to-back Chase and then Higgins. So this game was somewhat close in the end. But I think in totality, this just is like a poorly run team. And I think that that is hurting where the Bengals are at now and moving forward. The Bengals are going to bangle. They're going to figure it out a good way to ruin it. And right now, it looks like it's the neutral pass rates. Like, I'm looking. I don't have the exact neutral pass rates, but they dropped back 30 times. And they ran the ball to Joe Mixon 20 times. And they were losing the entire game. So to me, it looks like they're going to be not having the top five neutral pass rates. That to me tells me that we're going to have to readjust the outlooks for all three of these guys. I know that they got there um, with with some touchdowns here, and I think they're not going to completely fall off. But I, I think it's going to be pretty difficult for like Jamar Chase to be like that wide receiver too if Joe Mixon's getting the the ball put in his belly twenty times per week. Joe Mixon twenty one touches. Chris Evans was the only other back to touch the ball in this game. So at least we have that role for Joe Mixon that we are certain of right now. Quickly, Rams, Colts, Rams win 27 to 24. Hayden, it wasn't like a really good day from this Rams team, which is somewhat unexpected for me after what Seattle did to the Colts in week one. Matthew Stafford, 278 yards, two touchdowns. Dale Henderson, 13 carries, 53 yards, and a touchdown. He leaves for a period of time and in steps finally Sony Michelle for 10 carries and 46 yards himself. That's an issue because I think that the Rams were just always wondering if Daryl Henderson can stay healthy. So even if he dodged a serious injury, I think this kind of just points to why the Rams made that trade for Sony Michelle. So um, we rode the Daryl Henderson RB2 um, for the first two weeks. I'm wondering if that's going to all of a sudden turn into a flex play, and these guys are going to be kind of splitting uh, one-two duties. And while Tyler Lockett roasted the Colts, Defense in week one. Guess who did it in week two? Cooper Cup. 
11 targets, nine receptions, 163 yards, and two touchdowns. Back-to-back massive weeks from Cooper Cup. People who viewed him as just a slot receiver, people who viewed him as a low A-dot player. I think part of it are the first two matchups that he has had, especially, again, the slot, and keep this in mind, is destroying this Colts defense. But it's a significant gap in production through two games from Cooper Cup compared to Robert Woods. I'm not here to write off Robert Woods, but it's glaring just the ceiling that Cooper Cup has right now. It's top five neutral pace, top five passing um, rate too. So like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, I think they're just going to keep going crazy, ping-ponging wide receiver one week. So I think both of them still, even though Robert Woods hasn't showed it yet, I still think there's going to be games where their two stat lines are completely flipped. And I think that I'm going to keep ranking Robert Woods as a top 20 receiver. He got nine targets here. This was not like some really bad game for Robert Woods. Plus, he always gets a couple carries too. So um, very encouraging for for the Rams passing offense through two weeks. Great game next for the Rams against the Tempe Buccaneers. Quickly on the Colts, the reason why the Rams could put this one away is because Carson Wentz left injured. Jacob Eason came in and threw a brutal interception. Um, At least Carson Wentz found his ex-receiver in Michael Pittman in this game with 12 targets eight receptions, and 123 yards. He wasn't bankable in week one. He was very bankable in week two, even more so than, you know, top 20 selection Jonathan Taylor here. I swear he's good, Josh. Like, uh, week one one wasn't pretty, but I swear he's good. So we'll see what the schedule looks like. He did this against the Rams, which is pretty impressive. I haven't watched this game to see how he did this. Um, And I'm very concerned about Carson Wentz's injury. But I think that Michael Pittman's actually good at the game. So hopefully – we can get some wide receiver three flex weeks out of them moving forward. All right, let's say one thing about our final two games. First, let's start off with the Denver Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I didn't get to watch this game. Uh, I will this week. Terrible weather. Trevor Lawrence, bad. Again, two interceptions. Back-to-back, multiple interception games. Um, he was able, though, to start off with a hot streak at the beginning. I think it was four for 46 yards and a touchdown to Marvin Jones. I think Marvin Jones, after the game, said – well, then the Broncos defense, which is talented, has talented pieces, switched to more of a zone coverage. And hey, nothing happened after that for the Jaguars offense. The Jaguars slot receiver became the second NFL player to have negative receiving yards on seven targets. And he also had a carry that went for zero yards, too. So it turns out the Jaguars slot receiver shouldn't have been a top, what, 33 to 34 um, pick in best ball. Yeah, the, the player you're referring to is LaVisca Ingold uh, out there. Oh no! With with the fullbacks, a dot. Hey, Marvin Jones for like for sure the Jaguars' number one receiver. Then DJ Shark for me and Lavisca Chanel. It's just hard for a low a dot player. And people like this was what he was in college and in last year in the preseason, and then in week one, and then it happened in week two. It's just like time to readjust. We love Lavisca Chanel, but we love Lavisca Chanel, the gadget player, like not the like legit um, every like down player. So it's tough for him. The boomers love Marvin Jones, and so do fancy players who want to be right. All right. Uh, Denver Broncos end as well. Hayden, we got 50-50 carries and touches basically between Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. I believe I saw that Melvin Gordon led in snaps, but this is still a backfield that's just 50-50 as we move forward. And quickly, Cortland Sutton, I can't wait to watch what he did in this game. Hopefully he finally looks healthy with Jerry Judy missing contests because he had 159 yards, and Tim Patrick got everyone home with 37 yards and a score, and Noah Fant, our guy, 33 yards and a score as well. Yep, I, I would say that KJ Hammer is kind of like in the LaVisca thing. It's just harder for a slot receiver to kind of pay off, and that's why I think like Corlin Sutton's kind of like Marvin Jones, where they're the alpha guys on the outside, air yards, 
red zone targets. He'll get all that fun stuff. So, yeah, I haven't watched this game, but great news that Cortland Sutton is out there balling. I think we can close with the Cleveland Browns and the Houston Texans. Browns at home, one and one. Also, the Texans are one and one, and they win. The Browns do 31 to 21. Weird up and down game from Baker Mayfield. Hyper efficient on the stat sheet, though. Hey, 19 of 21, 213 yards, a score. Also ran one in. Also looked like he busted his non-throwing shoulder at one point, trying to make a tackle on an interception that he threw. Look, the Browns are just a really good team. You can have mistakes. You, you can have you know non-explosive plays. And I think this team was really hurt when Jarvis Landry went out and Odell Beckham was already ruled out. It kind of sounds like Odell is coming back next week, Hayden. Knock on wood. And if so, he might walk into wide receiver number one status on this team. It seems like Jarvis Landry has like an MCL sprain. Might miss a couple of weeks. We'll uh, learn more throughout the week there. But the Browns would have put Odell Beckham on injured reserve, which would have locked him out for three games if they thought he was going to need to miss three games. So I would guess Odell Beckham returns, especially if Jarvis Landry is out. And obviously it's just going to go, the ball is just going to go to him. And we think that the Browns are a top 10 team in the NFL. So I think that uh, Odell Beckham, as long as he's, Looks pretty healthy. I think that he's going to be a fantasy starter immediately. Browns get the Bears and the Vikings up coming in their next two games. And we'll close with the Houston Texans. It was so much fun early on, Hayden, with Tyrod Taylor. Was making plays once again. Touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks. I mean, actually, I think the first one was to Philip Lindsay. Anyways, Tyrod now seems to be hurt. It just... Is not happening for him consistently right now. Now they play on Thursday night football, so a, a short week. And it certainly sounds like Davis Mills is going to be the one who's going to start that game against a ferocious Panthers pass rush and defense. Tyrod Taylor was 10 for 10 for 125 yards and a touchdown. And his when he pulled his hammy, that's he threw the ball away. And that was his lone incompletion. Like really hate that for Tyrod, but it's really rooting for him. If you guys haven't watched Davis Mills, he's really bad. I mean, he was really bad in college. Like he's kind of like the 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 boomer scouts love Davis Mills, like the, the theory of Davis Mills, but he just like can't play. So it's going to make Brandon Cook's wide receiver two season pretty hard. But Brandon Cook's had a 50 percent target share this week. And Nico Collins is what uh, left the game early, too. So um, it's just going to be a volume. It's not going to look pretty. Just refresh the box scores if you've drafted Brandon Cook's. We'll probably close this with an admission, Hayden. I was probably wrong about Brandon Cooks this year. All right, we all we all we all have our have our misses. All right, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, again, we're gonna cover so many things this week in regards to these games, especially on Tuesday show where we link watching all the games, going through all the usage, the stats, the analytics. Bridge week two over into week three so be sure to like and subscribe so you can be here and you can take us on the road with you that is the underdog football show subscribe on any podcast platform appreciate you hayden appreciate you in the chat as well scampers zodat saturday brian all of you lou thanks for being here everyone have a wonderful night have a wonderful monday we'll see you on tuesday up the villa talk to y'all soon see ya (laughs) 